0: X-Ray. It's the a Show, broadcast in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. Uh, we join you here in the lovely, cloudy, and rainy, finally, uh, autumnal city of roses, you wrote, Jeff, very nice. Thank you. You see got how the, I... You just assume I... A- dictionary out and...
1: Uh, I think you imagine I never update those, never think about them, but no, look at me. I'm on the case.
0: So I'm Patrick Emerson. I'm professor of economics at Oregon State University, now back in session, so I'm professing right now uh, as we speak, but the professing happens. And with me, of course, is Jeff Allworth, author of the forthcoming Beer Bible Second Edition, which will uh, be a big theme today in today's podcast, because you're about to uh, F off.
1: Yeah, you know what? I sh- that's one thing I didn't change. It's not forthcoming. It releases today, the day that we are recording, Ooh. September 28th. It is available. Go out and buy it. Go buy. Don't buy one. Don't buy two. Buy five. Buy ten.
0: <laughs> Author of the newly released Beer Bible Second Edition. I know, by the way, it's going to be a, way- a ways away, but I know that uh, this becomes like a big theme in bookstores for Father's Day. Yes. Well, that's where I've seen your, your book, uh, highlighted in the past. It's like, Hey, it's father's day. Here's a book about beer. What dad doesn't want to know more about beer.
1: Yeah. I get two bumps in the year. Uh, one at Christmas uh, time or holiday giving time and, uh, at, at father's day. And I actually uh, sell a lot more around the holidays, but, um, but I think because there are very few books uh, associated with father's day, I get a little bit more, um, like press and interest around
0: Father's Day. Yeah. So. but why wait? Buy your books now. Give out as like gifts for Halloween and Thanksgiving and.
1: And what about Mother's we- Day?
0: Come on. And then Mother's this- Day—that's a good—that's a good, that's a good uh, uh, excuse, or Dearest just because, yeah, or just because it's fresh hop season. Yeah. Buy somebody buy somebody a book.
1: Buy two. Buy five. <laughs>
0: <laughs> buy five. Buy <laughs> lots of books. Uh, so. Uh we, uh we were at Gigantic, speaking of, we were at Gigantic Brewing on Thursday, was it? I'm losing yes. track. So yep. uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday. It was last Thursday. We we're at Gigantic Brewing where you had your first uh, book event uh, with Van Havig and Ben Love of Gigantic Brewing in Portland, Oregon. That was big fun.
1: It was fun for me, I, I, and and it seems like people enjoyed themselves. That's the feedback I heard. But people are often polite in Portland, so it's hard to say. What did you always give us the straight scoop? What do you think was it fun?
0: It was a good turnout.
1: That was neutral.
0: <laughs> that was my that was my uh, British damning with faint praise.
1: Yeah, I was going to say oh, cool
0: I, people there, Jeff,
1: somehow just got shady. Uh,
0: uh, no, I thought it was good. Uh, I like the idea that I don't sure people uh, sort of uh, you were trying to push this theme where. Um, Uh, The way that Americans now make beer is something unique in the history of beer making um, that we've sort of created a new thing. And that was pretty cool. And um, Yeah.
1: And and, and naturally, Van and I fought on that point a little bit. Exactly. And then
0: I got derailed by Van, (laughs) as most things eventually do. Yes. Uh, but it was, I uh, know I thought it was big fun. I also, we uh, met a bunch of listeners to the podcast, so that was super big fun. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to remember everybody's name, um, now, but those of you who came up and introduced yourselves and told me that you were fans of the pod. Thank you very much. It was, uh, it was always great to, uh, to see people.
1: And we managed to get a plug in even at the end, which was nice. Cause that will probably, I'm assuming be the only one that I see you at. So we, we, we plugged the pod.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't mean you can't plug the pod in other events, dude.
1: That's true. That's true. And I'll in try fact, to I assume
0: that you're going to instruct people when they introduce you to say, "Uh, uh well-known podcaster and sometimes author, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Alworth, <Hallward.
1: laughs> host of the Birvana podcast show, Birvana show and podcast with literally tens of listeners,
0: <laughs> and we really crapped out on them." Um, on swag, because what you should be doing is wearing your, your uh, Birvana podcast shirt to every event uh, and hat and, you know, umbrella or whatever else. <laughs> or <swag. laughs> uh, but we have no swag and you have no way to, to promote us. So I guess we'll just stick with our lovely, cozy uh, brotherhood of listeners.
1: Yeah. And and, and I will, in defense of my... Personhood of uh, my uh, efforts on that front uh which had, had been anemic for a while i made a big push and i thought i had gotten it all figured out and we were going to have swag. uh found a company that i thought was going to be able to do fulfillment but it turns out we're too small we're just we're just too small Gosh, my order was that, too small uh, yeah, I know.
0: Right? <laughs> we're not big enough to care for. The- yeah the fulfillment part is the real stumbling block neither of us want to have to deal with this crap um and so we might just end up with one of those online places, but the quality is pretty poor. So we're, we're in that middle ground. I was going to say that in the, at this event, uh, I was reminded by people who came up and said, yeah, I've, you know, I've sent stuff cause I, I always beg people to, to communicate with us, um, when I meet them and they say, yeah, I've sent stuff on Insta- Instagram because I created this Instagram account. Cause I know the kids, the kids use the Instagram uh, but I had no idea how to actually see people's uh, uh, communications with me. So it turns out that people have been communicating and uh, uh, interacting with us on Instagram and I haven't been interacting back. Uh, that's my bad. I don't know how to use Instagram. So I went I ran home, I went, I went to the 15 year old son and said help and he uh, he, straight, <laughs> he straightened me out, I figured it all out uh, and even got Jeff on the Instagram. So hopefully now we'll be a little bit better with the Instagram side uh, because that's what that's what the people want. So that's, that's right, what, that's what we give them.
1: We often talk about how we'll post pictures on the podcast or on the uh, Twitter feed, but now we can post them on the more appropriate uh, Instagram account. So
0: I posted forward. a picture last night. Last night, by the way, I was at Oakshire Brewing in Eugene and had their fresh hop uh, uh, hazy. I'm trying to remember what's called Hop Harvest. I think brilliantly named. Uh, and it turns out that on the Instagram, I found out uh, from Max Coleman that it's from the Coleman Farm. Nice, very uh, cool. I, yeah, the the hops they used. In fact, I'm just trying to, um, I'm, t- <laughs> I just, I just talk myself up about how good I am uh, about uh,
1: about the Instagram, and now you about the Instagram.
0: What do you, Would you uh, like me
1: to? Get on here. You're right. In Eugene and Oak Brew <laughs> enjoying the hop harvest, fresh hop, hazy, yum, love the fresh hop season. There's no information here.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, because I pinned it. So there's a comment uh, uh, Max Coleman wrote from Coleman Agriculture said they're from Cal- Coleman Farms, the hops. But I thought he also said what kind of hops they were. No. I think somewhere there's, in there there's information about the kind of hops. There's uh, no info on it. There's no <laughs> Anyway, I was down in Eugene. By the way, this is a, I have to tell you my little story of triumph. I was down in Eugene because my older son lives there. And the car that, I, that, he, um, that used to be my old car that he now drives, which is super old. It's a 2003 Saab. Uh, the, the window broke. And uh, because we now live in an era of YouTube, there's nothing that you can't learn online in a video, which is amazingly helpful. So I figured out how to fix his driver's side window. I had to replace the whole mechanism. And to take the whole door apart, uh, so I'm pretty proud of myself because I actually accomplished it and I and I and I achieved it. But the other problem with Saab is that Saab no longer exists, and so no longer they're no longer making parts for the vehicles. You got to get aftermarket parts, which kind of suck. And the ones they gave me actually t- didn't work. I had to had to jerry rig uh, how to actually attach it to the door because um, it was not quite right. But I'm I'm kind of like MacGyver, and I got a bolt, and I figured it out, and I did it.
1: I love, I love how this is the, the, the moment of our senescence when incredibly small triumphs are, uh, you, you self-celebrate on, on the podcast. Yes. Um, Thank you.
0: Exactly. And so (laughs) the point was I rewarded myself by going to Oakshire afterward and having a beer. So I think I deserve, I think I earned that. I earned that beer.
1: Yes. You did a, you did a small thing. Good job, man. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> wasn't a small thing, man. I tore apart the door and I put it all back together and it actually worked. Uh, 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 we should talk yeah. about today's pod, um, which is not going to change much. <laughs> uh, because you're about to, as I said, to um, bugger off to parts unknown. Um, actually, parts known if you check your Facebook, right? You have a whole like agenda there.
1: I have it on the blog. I have it on the Facebook. And yeah, that's the, the yeah you'll find it. I have
0: it. Yeah, the blog would be a good place for it. Uh, so what we're going to do today is we're going to, um, uh, do a mailbag day in a rather shocking development. You write the mailbag overfloweth. Oh, another big word. Wait, before,
1: before you do that. And on the note, uh, I want to make this at the top of the the pod in case people don't listen all the way through. Uh, it, this also marks the moment in which we cannot promise there will be any more podcasts for a long time, right? Did you, (laughs) did you say that? I was
0: going to get there, but I was going to break that news gently. Well,
1: Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm. We have such good listeners, and I don't want to – I want them to have this info at the outset, so I feel like it's uh, full disclosure. Um, it's going to be hard for us to pull off – I'm this, it's going to be a March – a forced March for me. So yeah, it's a pretty
0: impressive uh, uh, agenda. By the way, did I notice that you're actually going to Madison now?
1: I'm going to Madison, Wisconsin, baby! I was
0: really excited to see that because screw Milwaukee. Who cares about Milwaukee? Go to Madison, <laughs>
1: Well, the gods smiled on your plan. I'd okay. actually been. I'd, I'd uh, there's a, a guy. I did a, his uh, tw- kind of Twitter or online podcast. Uh, he's uh, in Madison. His name is Greg Washington. He goes by the handle Daddy Porter on uh, on Twitter. Really nice. good guy, and he had been lobbying me to come to uh, Madison earlier. And so when the Milwaukee uh, event fell through i went back and found his info and immediately contacted the brewery he recommended and it's called giant jones run by two women and they make big beers which is the giant of the name so they're they're focused on on high alcohol beers. so that's a cool thing awesome yeah so i'm looking forward to that so i'll be i'm back, jealous. In been back
0: to madison since um, i don't even know like
1: uh, it's been it's been since the 90s for me which yeah. is embarrassing
0: yeah me too <laughs> I kind of grew up there. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is I have no family there. I have nothing, nothing to bring me back unless I just decide to go. Exactly. And, and that's kind of a hard thing just to decide to do. Yeah. Uh, but it's a lovely town and I miss it and I wish I was uh, going to go. I keep talking to my family. i got to go there. but uh, yeah. Uh, So, yeah, you have a very busy schedule. And so for the next couple of months, uh, it's not clear when or if at all, and likely not at all, we will be able to podcast. So we apologize in advance, but it's all just fault. Uh, I'm ready to go anytime. <laughs> I'm here, so if you if you'd like to be mad at, I'm going to be uh, mad at Jeff.
1: Yeah, there it is. All I right, could just, all I right. could
0: just give you know I could just do economics podcasts in the
1: meantime. You should do that. I invite <laughs> you to do that.
0: You have to do account. lessons. We could talk about supply and demand. Uh, ready to go. All right, uh, let me get back to the intro. So yes. we have a mailbag. Uh, we always beg for comments. Uh, we often uh, have a, a dribs, come, drib, come, they come in dribs and drabs, but we actually have quite a few since our last uh, show. So that gives us a good, a good excuse to fire off uh, a half-assed uh, podcast, which is slightly worse than our normal quarter-ass uh, three-quarters-assed podcast, uh, and um, answer the, the uh, communications we get from our smart and observant listeners.
1: Yes, indeed. And there's some really good questions there.
0: So, so I went way off script there, by the way. But you see how I kind of added a few things in.
1: Absolutely. It totally worked. You're, you're a professional. You know what you're doing.
0: All right. But, but because this is a podcast, there is one regular feature, which is the news. So let's do it.
1: Unless you're interested in the latest Fespia release, it's a slow time in the news. But two items did catch our eyes. The first is surprising for a couple of reasons. Jeremy Cowan, owner of Troy, New York's Schmaltz Brewing, announced he would be shutting down the brewery in coming months. Mm. I know. The the puckish branding leaned into uh, Cowan's Jewish identity with beers like Hebrew, the Chosen Beer. uh, Always one of the most amusing things on the shelves. Mm. Um, The brewing's going out the way it came in 25 years ago with Exodus, a barley wine. Uh, the brewery seemed to be healthy and just passed its 25th anniversary and was a long time called favorite and Cowan will continue in beer uh, turning to his other brand Alphabet City so it, it's uh, it's interesting just because it was such an interesting brewery um, interesting branding uh, kind of a cool hook It in terms of diverse breweries it was, it was a little bit of diversity uh, in craft brewing uh-huh. that sorely needed it 25 years ago um, and uh, I guess he just I guess uh, he's just gone as far as he wants to go with that there was no as much as I searched around I couldn't find any uh, explanation from why he wanted to retire that brand um, yeah well, so 25 years is a long time yeah it goes it just kind of reminds me of, uh, of a, an observation you made years and years ago about how Beer, uh, craft beer increasingly res- resembles restaurants mm-hmm. and this is kind of one of those cases where it's not like the business isn't succeeding it's just kind of it seems like it maybe is just not uh, interesting anymore and so time to move to do something else
0: yeah i wonder how much this is actually an interesting idea uh that we haven't talked to brewers that much but how, especially brewers who've been um you know w- working with their own business for uh working with that's a weird way to say it but basically we've we've been in the game for a while like how much do you feel almost uh uh, constrained by the brand you've created and uh um whether you consider we've talked about this in other aspects whether you consider sort of creating a new brand a new brewery um to kind of reset expectations and it's it's risky because you know you don't have the long-term followers but i wonder because because you know chefs do that right right Um, Yeah,
1: absolutely. And and so many people who get into beer are very creative people. And if you ride the same horse for a long time, you may begin to think, I'd like to try a different horse.
0: Yeah, yeah, sort of reset expectations and start something new. Uh, Another surprising or odd news, Bellingham's famous lager brewery, Chuckanut, is being forced to leave its original location. Oh, I didn't see this. Owners sold the building and the new owners want to move on. Brewing operations will head south to their Skagit Valley location, and in the next month or two, they'll open a satellite tap room in Portland. Yahoo! Yeah, that's exciting. <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to the, the satellite tap room. Uh, that's yeah, that's a shame.
1: It's a shame. It's so weird uh, when something like that happens. Um, fortunately, Chuckanut is, I think, doing really well, and so they can survive this. If, if they were a single brewery location, it could be kind of devastating. But
0: yeah, it's a huge cost.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, they've been there 14 years or something, and um, all, all, all the information on the Internet is going to point people there, and it's going to be a problem. You know, it's going to take a while to get it straightened out. So I'm sure it's not ideal, but um, they're yeah. healthy, and they'll, they'll do great.
0: It reminds me of uh, Flat Tail Brewing in Corvallis. Same thing happened with them.
1: Right. They had um, to move around the corner almost.
0: Yeah, they they lost their stuff. They had to go – they lost their lease, and, and – I don't think it, it was particularly friendly. So so right. they had to like uh, hurry up and rent a flatbed truck if memory serves and, and cart their tanks out to some storage facility and stuff. So yeah, that's not great. Uh, but uh, as you say, they're doing great, and I'm sure they'll, they'll uh, fly through this period.
1: Yeah, and it's actually cool to have them coming to Portland because we've become such an important logger city in the United States. So I think they'll fit in really well here, and they'll enrich the scene, and I assume... Um, you know, turn even more people into loggers here. So I'm very excited about that. That's cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, uh, the way that loggers have become a staple of of craft beer is fantastic because it's really pretty recent. For the youngsters out there, <laughs> now I had, I cannot remember a time I've walked into a brew pub and there hasn't been some kind of logger on on the tap list. And that's not, that's not a, a thing you we would have seen 10 years ago.
1: Yeah. and I think that may be more particular to uh, Portland or to Oregon than other places. And I'm curious because I, I keep hearing uh, other people talk about how loggers are still a hard sell in many places. So I'm curious oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> if you want to let us know what, how loggers are doing where you are, if, if you're not in Portland, because I'm, I'm curious. I, I, I always assume whatever's happening here is happening everywhere, but it may not be. So let us know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm excited that you're going to travel because neither of us have traveled much because of COVID in the last couple of years, and I do feel like I've kind of lost touch. I've got—I went to Maine, so I could have an idea of what's going on in Maine, uh, right. and they're loggers, just so you know, uh, at least where I where I was. Uh, but otherwise, I don't know. And you, you're you're going to go on this whirlwind tour, so you'll actually get a very good idea of what people are brewing and what kind of beers are are uh, are on the tap list in different parts of the country. So
1: that's true and I'm excited about that I really got a great sense when I did the uh, book tour for the first edition and it was quite enlightening so we'll, we'll yeah. see how that. so
0: though out. we're not going to be potting for a while or maybe sporadically or not at all uh, but when you get back you'll have all of this fresh new knowledge that you can share with our listeners
1: what I learned on my uh, summer vacation we can yeah. do a pod on it
0: <laughs> I'm sure that will be the, the first pod we do is the debrief
1: yeah well, that'll be good
0: unless unless Guinness ponies up and flies me out and does a live pod from the the Baltimore brewery
1: yep still waiting to hear on that hint
0: hint well I (laughs) well our buddy John Urch who's been on the pod before he was there at your book yeah and he was talking about it so I told him to tell the to tell the folks to get on it so
1: all right well we uh, I uh just, (laughs)
0: just just wait
1: just refreshing my uh, email inbox here, and uh, nope, nothing. Yeah, so uh, stay tuned.
0: <laughs> that's just because they're trying to get it all straight. You know, they need to make sure the the, the chauffeured car is ready and the private jet and all that. So
1: that's right. That's right. <laughs> <get it> <laughs> all
0: right, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead. I mean, I'm gonna uh, not jump ahead, but I'm gonna jump on the the mail bag because, uh, and this is why I'm such a pro. Uh, I told my little story about my triumph fixing a 2003 Saab. All by myself, uh, without a lot of help from the 19-year-old. By the way, just want to make that clear, uh, Simon, who used to appear on the pod when he was around.
1: Former
0: uh, intern. <laughs> so I posted about my Oakshire beer, and actually got a really interesting comment. So I want your re- reaction to it. So this okay. is from this is John Donnelly from Twitter. He's John F Donnelly one or at John F Donnelly one, uh, and he says. I don't live in a hop harvest region, so maybe I don't get it. But fresh hop, wet hop beer makes no sense to me. Tried it once; it tasted like fresh-cut grass. Imagine it like brewing f- fresh-picked tea leaves. Uh, it didn't make palatable sense to me. Like getting the least out of the hop.
1: Yeah. Well, you can answer this too. I mean, you're you're sort of the the king of, of fresh hops in a way. You're you're the I'm <laughs> a
0: fresh hop evangelist.
1: You are, yeah. So, we, uh, Well, I the first right thing I would say
0: is I suspect that when he tried it, it was with an inexperienced brewer or, you know, a few years ago when everyone was inexperienced um, because right. uh, we've gone a long way from those uh, really vegetal uh, fresh hop beers. And I agree, those were often pretty bad. <laughs> Sometimes they were pretty good. But now uh, I would say 90% of the fresh hop beers are pretty good. In fact, my, my main complaint these days is that they're subduing the fresh hop nature of beers so much um, that it, it, uh, you almost don't get part of that experience. And the other part of what I'd say is um, that kind of earthy, freshy vegetal in small doses is exactly what I'm looking for in a fresh hop beer. It's kind of that sense of uh, being connected to the ingredients in a way, and being connected to the land in a way that you don't get when a really you have a super refined beer. So that little bit of an edge, that little bit of a, uh, a wildness to the beer is kind of well, I shouldn't say wild because that has a different connotation, but y- you know what I mean. Um, uh, is 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 what I appreciate from fresh hop beers, and I also I always make the the, the comparison to like the Beaujolais Nouveau, Nouveau each year um, in. In uh, late fall, it's a very young beer, and it's uh, uh, a very sort of unrefined beer. But it really tastes like the land; it tastes like the grapes. And it's wine, you mean? Uh, sorry, did I say beer? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, young <laughs> wine. A very young wine, a very fresh wine, which isn't it hasn't had time to sort of mature. But it gives you that sense of what you know, uh, 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 what um, of coming from the land and the fresh ingredients and all that. So, I don't know yes. what's your take.
1: Yeah, my take is that people outside the Northwest are going to have a hard time appreciating these beers because the quality that really defines the the best of the fresh hot beers is so evanescent. It comes and passes so quickly yeah, that's that, point. you you know, we, we drink a lot of bad fresh hot beers out here, and it's not that they're badly made. It's just that they, they, they fade so fast. Yeah. Um yeah. So if you only have one chance, if you only have your local brewery makes one of these every year, uh, even if they make it perfectly, there's about a week, a week or two where you will get a really fresh, wonderful quality, uh, and otherwise you don't get it. And that's why I, I try to encourage people to come to the Northwest so that they can just start bar hopping and you know drink, drink a dozen or two dozen of these beers, and then you slowly begin to dial it in. There's that quality that that uh, the uh, Twitter commenter mentioned it was the quality you mentioned, but then there's also these other um, uh, flavors and aromas that everybody who loves hops will like. They're, they're, they're deeply uh, fruity, intense, oily um, hoppy flavors, but they don't resemble the same hoppy flavors that you get, uh, from a kiln hop. And it's, and you know, it's the the example that we always use is the difference between fresh basil and, and dried basil. It's just, Mm -hmm. it, 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 transmutes it when you dry the oils out, the flavors change. And, um, to get a hot, a fresh hop beer that is exactly on point and is full of that vivid, aromatic, uh, oily loveliness, um, is, It's why we continue to go out and drink dozens of these every year because that experience is so sublime. So I I would recommend coming to Portland uh, or Seattle between about uh, September 15th and and October 15th and and getting excited and trying these. That's It's fun stuff.
0: Cool. That's a better answer than mine.
1: (laughs) No, I think your your answer is exactly right. I was just adding more. Uh, I would have said exactly the same thing. So right on the money.
0: Uh, all right. So now we can actually get to the ones that you've called here. Uh, yes. And
1: we ha- it's not even called. This is the whole bag. So we have a lot. I think we have a dozen of these. So we will uh, get started now.
0: All right. Uh, you you yeah, want to go, go, first, Why don't we you go start? first? Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, Natron Z uh, on Instagram uh, wrote me this. And I met, uh, I think it's Nathan uh, at the. Uh, at my book launch yeah and we talked a little bit more about this and it was very cool but i i loved i loved this comment uh listening to the, uh, the episode about making a classic guinness why uh, is a dark strong beer popular in hot areas like africa uh we wondered about this uh because it doesn't seem like you'd want a big strong uh eight percent stout if you're in the tropics right he continues my experience in tanzania is they generally lack refrigeration mm-hmm. the industrial light loggers are not delicious uh and typically served at around 50 or 55 degrees Fahrenheit, making them even less delicious. However, stouts taste fine at this temperature. That's my guess why strong dark beer is popular in uh, hot developing countries. So I, I think that makes a huge amount of sense, um, and I can totally I can totally imagine that that's the case that a that a you know a, a Guinness for an extra stout is going to taste almost as good. Uh, in terms of what the beer tastes like, you know, at fifty to sixty degrees in Tanzania, as it is uh, here in in the United States or uh, Europe, so that makes sense to me. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a very insightful con- comment. I wonder if with the sort of spread of refrigeration, that's kind of uh, led that um, because now a lot of the domestic brewers are in that sort of light lager um, uh, vein. And you know, maybe that has been supported by the, the the spread of refrigeration.
1: Yeah, and I have not been to Africa, so I don't know how widespread refrigeration is. When we when we were first traveling to India, refrigeration was pretty rare, and so this was an issue too. To find beer was kind of challenging because you it was light lagers in India, and, and it was uh, you, you know to get that warm was was bad. Yeah. So <laughs> you had to have refrigeration, yeah. and they, not not very many restaurants had you know reliable refrigeration.
0: Uh this next uh, mailbag entry is follows up on uh, uh on the theme of Guinness. So Kevin Kane writes, I just listened to your making of a classic episode on Guinness and cracking up thinking back to a time when I went to Turks and Caicos. I was uh talking about Guinness with some locals and they told me about how they were so excited when there was an Irish pub opening that had Guinness draft on tap. Uh Draft on tap sounds silly, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, uh, they had never – that he wrote, he wrote that, by the way. That was parenthetical. They never had it before, but always drank and loved for an extra stout. When they went to this pub and had the beer, they were totally disappointed by how it tasted and how weak it was. Never had it again. Yep. Yeah, they're yep. like two entirely different beers.
1: They are. One is literally twice as strong. I think the regular uh, Guinness draft is 4.2%. And right. foreign an extra is, I think, 8%. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I remember because the first Guinness I ever had, un, sort of, I just because I was ignorant was the foreign extra. Stout. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I just g- grabbed a bottle in a store. Was the foreign extra stout, and so that was my that was what I knew as Guinness. And then later, when I had Guinness draft, uh, I was um, uh, uh, so almost almost uh, uh, believe that. It was just because I had sort of become a more sophisticated drinker in the time, and now it didn't taste so crazy. So I was, confu- uh-huh. I was confused for, I was confused for a while until I realized, wait a minute, there's different Guinnesses out there. Because I, yes. didn't even, I didn't even realize it.
1: I know that everyone who's listening to this knows that there are multiple Guinnesses, but it is one of the weirdest and kind of best-kept secrets in beer that there's not just one Guinness. I think most regular drinkers would be shocked if you told them that.
0: Yeah, I could barely choke it down because this is when I was really young and hadn't you know, hadn't had any experience in beers other than whatever pabst or something uh uh, and yeah so that was my that's what i thought guinness was for the longest time totally Uh, all right we're moving along yep
1: okay this next one's kind of long uh so i will i will do a little parsing on the way we got one from uh jim in milwaukee um and this was a long introduction and i'm going to skip the first part uh but he he asks about uh contract brewing There is a spectrum of existing arrangements in the modern craft industry, ranging from brewers renting their buddies' equipment for the weekend to full-on powerhouse contract operations, which produce dozens of brands, often in relative secret. Mm. I bring this up because Wisconsin, in particular, has a number of popular businesses, which present present themselves as breweries, but in some cases own zero stainless tanks and no apparent plans to build a brewery. Uh, And then he mentions one in in Madison called Octopi, uh, which does this. It's a... Company uh, that does contract brewing for others, and he mm-hmm. believes they make up to maybe three hundred thousand barrels a year. There's some very popular beers in this state from businesses that produce minimal beer on their own, but almost nobody knows this. And somebody else is making ninety. So, knows that someone else is making ninety-nine percent of their beer. Uh, this feels deceptive. I think drinkers deserve to know that information but in today's world there are no eca- mechanisms for spreading that information curious your thoughts on the matter so this is an ancient this goes back to the very first days of, of uh, craft brewing and what what are your thoughts
0: yeah well i think that um uh this is a growing the, the, what he describes as a growing trend because i was just in fact once again, at your book event on Thursday, talking to a local brewer who um, is kind of uh, been brewing at different brew houses around town um, because he doesn't have his own. He that must about, have
1: been Tobias Hahn.
0: That <laughs> was Tobias Hahn. He was talking about how he has now been brewing a lot at a new facility that does the same thing. It's basically just there to make beer for other people. Uh, years ago, a local business person talked to me about this idea. I don't know... Uh, doesn't sound like this is the one but uh this is kind of a thing so you know beer is all about scale economies and so if you can build a big brew house uh you can brew beer fairly cheaply you can have a a packaging uh and distribution in-house and so lots of small brewers can come and take advantage uh of that and you can also have you know good good cleanliness practices and all that uh so um uh, i think that we might, this might be a trend that's um, happening more. I know there's another place in Florida, another facility like this. I imagine that they're popping up uh, in different uh, parts of the world, uh, um, but certainly parts of the United States. So I think we're going to see more of this. It's not a new thing as as we've talked about before. You know, uh, Sam Adams is probably the biggest example, uh, but I um, have often talked about how uh my friends at Ithaca Beer got started by doing contract brewing in a place in Chicago and, and so on. So um, I don't know. I, the, the ethics of it, uh, that's a different, different question. What do you, what do you think, Jack?
1: Well, I think that Jim points out the uh, the important contextual bit, which is that it really varies depending on what you're doing. And, and actually, I'm glad you brought up Tobias Hahn because this kind of came out on uh, the beer – or the – um, Birvana Facebook page that I maintain a while back with uh. regard to Rosenstadt, which is Tobias's brewery. Right. So, Rosenstadt um, is an undercapitalized brewery that wants to have their own system and would love to, you know, get out of the <laughs> the world where they have to find new breweries all the time. Um, they were brewing at Portland Brewing and it went out of business and they bounced around trying to find different ones. Yep. Yeah. Um, they buy their own ingredients, they oversee the brewing, they make sure that everything's dialed into their specs. Um, they're basically uh, using it's their own recipes everything about it is they just lack a brewing uh, a brew house um, and that's you know I think I think they're they're very transparent about how they make their beer and, and where it comes from but I think that's fundamentally different than a brewery that goes to one of these uh, companies that's you know, essentially an umbrella will, will punch in (laughs) your pale ale Mm -hmm. and you get a, you get a label and we'll slap it on there. You know, you tell us you want a pale ale, we'll make you a pale ale and, and and then you can slap a label on it. Um, There's a, there's a big range and people would probably feel differently about a company that uh, doesn't really even know how their beer is being made um, or, or, you know, certainly doesn't oversee it, make, make the recipes or select the ingredients, any of that stuff that's a different fundamentally a different kind of approach than having your own brewery or the, the way Rosenstadt is and it's not easy to talk about as a communication matter matter I'm not sure how you talk about all that stuff but I I agree that it's something people should know about their beer
0: I, I guess I'm I'm in as an economist I suppose it won't surprise you that I'm a little bit um less bothered by it I think that it's something that you can feature if you're You know, if you're a brewery and you're brewing your own beer on site and it's sort of that kind of thing, then that's certainly something I would promote. Um, If you're not, do you have to promote that you're not? I'm not so sure. I think, you know, uh, um, in that case, it's kind of more, um, I don't know, I'm trying to, I'm struggling for the words, but I don't want to say, like, buyer beware. It's not not that because I don't actually think it's that big a deal. Uh, But um, it is different, and part of what people like uh, is this idea that you're supporting as, by drinking a beer. You're supporting a business, and sort of have this idea of this craft um, uh, crafts people working in their little brewery, and and so on. Um, so I get that, but I, I yeah, I don't. I'm I'm not too bothered if someone doesn't go out of their way to say, look, you know, this is contract brewed in in Portland, Oregon, or I'm brewing it, but I'm brewing it at somebody else's in somebody else's brew house or something like that. Um, I think it gets kind of um, uh, you get a little bit into the weeds there.
1: Yeah, you definitely do, and it's it's hard. um, Yeah, it's hard to know how to how to approach this. You you mentioned Boston beer way back in the day, and and it was certainly something that uh, Jim Cook tried to conceal. (laughs) He knew that it was not going to be a boon for his. Uh, marketing campaign to talk about how he didn't actually have his own brewery and it was brewed at you know in Pittsburgh by yeah an and and, it, brewery.
0: and it's weird right like the Ithaca example it's this little local brewery quote unquote but it's not really it's got a local name but at the, at the very beginning they were brewed in Chicago and not even they didn't even have a brewer they um, the Chicago brewery came up with their recipes at first uh, and they sort of you know they tested them out and decided on which ones they liked but. Uh, but it got the, it got the business going. And then just a few years later, they had their own brewer, they had their own brew house, they had their own rest. I mean, the whole, it, the whole thing was transformed and now it's entirely local and on site. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, as a, as a, as a consumer, I certainly like the idea of supporting, um, uh, uh local breweries but you know I, I don't see a big distinction between the tobias Hahn who's working hard at trying to grow his business and eventually get his own brewery and you know is really hands-on um yeah so i don't know it doesn't bother me as much i suppose all
1: right well there you go i would love to hear from you all i bet you have opinions so let us know
0: all right so the next uh, uh mailbag entry is from uh, uh our old friend jason wells um who is a, a frequent mailbagger? bagger. So he writes, uh, can we discuss how many brewers have made fresh hop Oktoberfest hop beers this year? I have had offerings from Level, Wayfinder, and Zoigelhaus. All have been sublime. I think it might be my favorite style for fresh hop beers. I just think the more delicate hopping applications really showcase fresh hops better. Also, the vegetal character of fresh hop seems to meld really well with the fest beer malts, uh, which is a great comment because a lot of the fresh hop beers most of the fresh hop beers i see are like ipas essentially right Um, which is like or pale but super hop forward beers and then it's going to be fresh hop and yeah that can be a little bit overwhelming when you're dealing with these uh uh these types of hops um i'm trying to think i don't know if i've had a fresh hop Oktoberfest this year have you
1: no uh because of the the chaos of my book release, I've actually been drinking less fresh hops this year than, than normally, which is a great uh, disappointment to me. But personally, <laughs> but you know, it means I have not had as many as I would normally have had.
0: Um, uh, so. I've actually had a, quite an, quite a few fresh hop beers, but not Oktoberfest. But I can actually, I mean, I totally get what he's. I mean, I I can imagine that I would agree with Jason um, that the uh, the fest beer malts and the fresh hops. Might meld very well together and sort of give this entirely op- autumnal to use a word that you had in the script uh, uh, presentation.
1: Yeah, I, I personally, if I'm going fresh hops, I, I admire beers with a delicate touch uh, and I enjoy them. But when I want a real blast of fresh hops, I I do like the.
0: You do like the, the big?
1: Yeah, yeah. Give it to me all. Both <laughs> both barrels. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, Okay, where are we? Uh, oh,
1: Matt yeah, I mean in Chicagoland, yeah, yes. <laughs> Matt in Chicagoland, who is a is a, a previous writer uh, and uh, who who concluded with his uh, characteristic uh, salutation, bear down, boo.
0: <laughs>
1: Pack her up, baby. Uh, he writes. No, yeah, but uh, that's an
0: Arizona thing, right? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, Okay. Gotcha. He's from Chicago. Yep.
1: He's from Chicago. Uh, Very much enjoyed your episode on brown ales. Yeah, baby. Brown ales actually got a lot of uh, good response, which blew my mind. But there you go. Uh, I wonder if the old sweet Newcastle formula soured many craft drinkers on the style. I also think the brown ale hurts. Uh, uh, The name brown ale hurts. Brown makes people think of poop. Yep, it (laughs) does. (laughs) Uh, But then he continues. COVID has gotten me deep into tiki cocktails. One of the recent tiki glasses became popular was because bar owners thought the uh, drinks uh, muddy brown hue looked like well poop like poop yeah (laughs) it continues today uh as a brand of hamilton rum i enjoy without uh, the caramel coloring uh, the bar owners complain about Uh, so yeah that's interesting um he he adds one other thing here but um uh, uh yeah let me pause for that i think that's a an astute observation that (laughs) it's <laughs> so, you know it's a branding problem
0: yeah uh, brown is not sexy um yeah <laughs> but i also think it's it's partly just because uh uh and i had actually a little conversation with van having a your event about this that um to just the way that that american beer because of all the great hops we grew became a really hop forward experience and so malts were just less appreciated, I think, among consumers, um, right. m- maybe less so brewers. But, but malts were really just um, uh, uh, provided kind of an, a, a, mostly a neutral base for all these big hop expressions in American brewing. Um, and I think that, so, so I think that one of the things that Brown doesn't give you is any sense of like the IPA hop forwardness of, of a beer. And I think that's part and parcel of the way that, that craft brewing sort of evolved in the U.S. So part of, part of that, because when I think of brown, I think, you know, if, I, if someone says, oh, this is a nice brown beer, I think, oh, that's going to be great because it's going it's to have an expression of malt that I really like. You know, the nutty, biscuity uh, 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 malts and stuff. So uh, I do think it's a branding issue, but I also think it's just the, the way that um, consumers have been taught that uh, beer should taste like in the U.S yeah i think that's probably true
1: he adds uh, i'm calling out your west coast bias bell's breweries makes a tasty brown as one of their fall seasonals i look forward to it as a break from my many october each year well uh yes we are on the west coast and it is our bias and if bells would send us beer we would happily tout it so let you
0: yeah. yeah that's a good point like
1: <laughs> let let those michiganders know send the beer to oregon we'll we'll, we'll drink it and talk about it
0: yeah there have been few beers that uh uh I can't think of any beers that we've been sent and haven't at least mentioned on the pod. So
1: we try to, yeah, we try to, uh, we, we 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 try to mention it um, as a way of a thank you. And you you know you better like your beer because we may not like it. So uh, send us good stuff because we will mention it.
0: Okay, I'm going to throw in a curveball here because um, this is someone I met and uh, who commented on Instagram, and I didn't realize. Um, but uh, this is from Shiloh Stott. Uh, who can I get his, uh, how do I? Okay. <laughs> He's at the silver Sasquatch. Uh, that's his <laughs> handle. Um, but uh, a couple, a couple of episodes ago, I mentioned that I went to just a little beer store essentially and walked up to the cash register where they scanned my beer. And then when I put my credit card in, they asked for a tip, which I thought was an, yeah, an, an, a new adventure in, uh in, in way that, that tips are sort of coming around everywhere, uh, uh, he writes the perceived in, in quotes the perceived benefit of tips um, is that it moves the cost of goods, food, beer, etc., directly to the workers, raising workers' wages paid by the company would subject employee to additional, pay, additional payroll taxes, withholding, etc. The question for Patrick is: Is this the most effective way to move wages to employees? Well, I think tips are taxable. So I think that you're supposed to pay taxes on tips, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's income.
0: Uh, but I do think that, the, that the, the issue with the tips is that it's a way to essentially raise prices, but in a way that, well, I, I mentioned this last time too. I think there's two things. One, it's a way to raise prices that makes uh, consumers think, oh, it's okay because this part is just going to workers. And I, I'm in solidarity with, with workers okay fine and then the second part is that it creates this uh sort of voluntary uh sorting so that people who have a higher preference for that and have more income perhaps will tip more and those can tip less who have less ability to do to do so so i suppose i mentioned this it might be more efficient i'm not sure though it's a it's a more efficient way to uh um to pay workers in that sense
1: yeah i mean as an old labor guy I, i I don't like this at all. It's a, it's a, I think it's a, a pretty cheap way. <laughs> I think the uh, uh, business owners are cheaping out instead of just paying their, their employees properly. They're hoping that uh, their customers will pick up the slack and do that job for them. And um, yeah. they, they won't, they won't pay the price for raising prices uh, to pay their customers. So I, I feel like that's a little bit, maybe not the, the very best way to go.
0: Yeah, I know you agree with uh, – you know that I agree with you on this. But I also think that with this new – all these new payment systems now with the little um, square payments and other things where you're always like being asked uh, at the point of payment, oh, you know, you've given me your credit card. Now would you like to add a tip? I think that that – because now that's the sort of the the way we tend to pay things, that that's created this easy way to sort of get tips from – uh, consumers. So it used to be just like if you were at a table service restaurant when you were filling out the little paper slip. You could add a little tip on the bottom because of good service. Now it's just kind of this thing that's become ubiquitous everywhere. Now it's even at the beer store terminal when I'm just trying to check out uh, my six-pack of beer or whatever. Uh, so I think that that's made it easier for businesses to just rely on tips rather than raises. And you know that I agree that I think that's kind of a cop-out. Yeah. And but- it's annoying. By the
1: way <laughs> it, it well and I think yeah there could be some unintended consequences as, as a result of that because uh, I think there's going to be tip fatigue and I'm not sure how that manifests or who pays the price for that so it's it's an interesting we're gonna see what happens because we are seeing it everywhere and I just often reflexively you know it's sitting on 20% and I often just pay it and then I think wait a minute there's no service here who am I paying for this, this is I just the the vendor just got an extra twenty percent on this, uh, you know, uh, because I wasn't being uh, vigilant about clicking off that button.
0: So yeah, and anyway. especially where we're in, we're in this period with sort of labor shortages among these service industries, and uh, you know, the answer, of course, is just to raise wages. So um, yeah, it becomes I mean they, they get more and more pushy with the tips rather than just raising the wages that they need to do. So um, yeah, that's my take
1: all right we got it figured out
0: uh because I threw that in I'll just go ahead and uh read Steve uh Calderaro's
1: wait we have Cal Coggins first do you not have that one on there
0: oh sorry no I just I do have it on there I just skipped so Cal Coggins from Baltimore right oh another brown ale sorry I should have I shouldn't have interjected in the middle of the brown ale
1: we have this long run of brown ale stuff I <laughs> okay, think okay so really all all right. we'll, we'll
0: break it up then <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it's a lot of brown ale talk, which is amazing. Our new podcast, Brown Ale Talk.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's a good hint, which is that it's, you know, when uh, when we're talking about other things that don't often get talked about, people like it. Indeed. It opens up the world of beers to people. All right, so after the recent send-up of brown ales, I bought a six-pack at my new place of work yesterday. And my first brown ale in a few years was a great companion on a very autumnal evening. Aha, so now I know where you got the word. We actually had more browns in stock than I expected, and that's not including Sam Smith's. Monument City American Brown was uh, unsurprisingly full-bodied at 6% uh, ABV and nicely balanced. Body and bitterness combined to make it a very robust beer, but the aroma is all malt with some nice esters. I thought I got some apple or grape. My girlfriend said she got all brown sugar and raisins. Either way, it was quite moorish given how big it was, and I'm very much looking forward to another glass or two this evening. And that's actually something that we didn't mention uh, but maybe we should have, or maybe we did mention, I just forgot because that happens a lot, which is, uh, we didn't, I don't think we planned it this way, but it's, uh, it is the season I think for you to go and try brown ales or these malt, uh, these, uh, 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 beers that feature malt flavors more, because I think that autumn is the perfect time to really appreciate those.
1: I agree. Yeah. I bet we mentioned that. That seems like we might've mentioned that. All right. Should we continue on to the next? uh, We should. uh, Brown ale comment. More brown ale. All the the brown ale. All right. Steve Calderaro from Portland uh, writes, I too used to enjoy Pete's Wicked, but have grown away from brown ales most aren't very complex and those that are tend to have a, a range of flavors that is limited to sweet malt to from sweet malt to roasty sometimes burnt flavors yep even in darker beers i like those that are able uh, to smooth out that roasted flavor also i know a lot of breweries stopped uh, f- oh this is another comment kind of related i want to i do want to comment on this one cuz i have a I have a brewing comment on uh, his on Steve's first point. The second one is about growler, so we'll pick that up in a second. Do you have? Okay. Should I launch into that, or do you have a? a uh,
0: go ahead, and launch there? in, and then I'll add my little bit at the end.
1: Yeah. So I would say here's the thing about American brewers. American brewers have not yet tumbled to the importance of base malts and mm-hmm. how they build flavor. Yeah. Base malts in the rest of the world are really mm-hmm. important. So we're talking about pilsner malt or uh, uh, pale malt, the 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 kind of stuff that in the United States are is usually a very neutral malt that doesn't contri- contribute much flavor. Mm-hmm. And when you're making a beer like brown ale, you tend to put that neutral malt in there and then add a bunch of other flavors on top, like caramel malt and roasted malts. Roasted malt, yeah. And it gives you a, it, it, it gives you a less three-dimensional flavor than if you're building, if you start building flavor with that base malt. So you are talking about a nice robust, barley variety that will give you flavor and then kilning it in such a way that will give you flavor so you might get depending on the kind of base malt you're using you might get something that's a little bit crackery or grainy or it might be bready uh, might be nutty and if you have that uh, it's a it's a subtle flavor but it's by far the biggest portion of the grist and so it becomes this kind of it's sort of like the the uh the bass drum it's just it's just thumping back there behind everything and it'll really fill out the flavors and you know then you get those other flavors that you put on from the other malts will 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 key off whatever base malt you've got and uh give you a richer more complex flavor so i think if if you're making a brown ale start with a really characterful base malt that's what my recommendation is
0: yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think that's exactly right and very insightful, which is a lot of the time when you see American brewers do this, it'll be this kind of shallow flavor note, right? A little roastiness on top. And when you go to Britain or other places where they spend a lot of time building up that malt flavor, it's a very deep uh, malt flavor sensation. It's not it, It's not a smack you over the head kind of flavor, um, but it's there's a real depth to it that I think um, – american brewers are just starting to figure out uh as you mentioned um sort of on average obviously there's uh exceptions but that's you know you can have kind of what you might consider a not very flavorful you know best bitter in england um but if you stop and pay attention you realize that there's a lot of flavors layered in there and they're in there sort of deep and complex um but they're just not they're not um uh Kind of hit you over the head flavors. They're flavors you have to stop and appreciate. Uh-huh. And then the other thing I'll say is it's also true. I think that you know you're not going to get the kind of wild variety in flavors you get from hops. Um, so again, it takes a little more. Uh, it's a little more subtle, and it takes a little more attention to sort of um, uh, taste those flavors. But I'm not surprised that yeah, if you've if you've had some sort of American Browns um, that just do exactly what Jeff said, just throwing a little roast malt or caramel malt on the top, that yeah, it's not going to be fantastic.
1: Excellent. Okay. Uh, Steve shifts gear into what I think is quite an insightful comment for the second one, uh, second portion of his comment. Also, I know a lot of breweries stopped filling uh, outside growlers during the pandemic, and it seems they are slow to return to that service. That's Mm -hmm. something I hadn't thought of. It's interesting, though. Mm -hmm. Uh, The gentleman at Gigantic explained that they felt it was a poor way to transport beer, lost carbonation, and they lost a lot of product filling these vessels. So I put it to you, Patrick. are, Are we... Are growlers – do you think growlers may be one of those casualties of COVID?
0: Well, I think they may be uh, a casualty of COVID, but I think a lot of that might also have to do with the, the, um, the growth of the crowler, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which is easier to fill. Uh, so he talks about losing a lot of product. So these, these growlers with these narrow necks um, tend to – you tend to have to sort of – they foam up, and you got to keep pouring beer in there to get the foam out um to give some you know or you got to wait a long time so they don't have a lot of time to wait so either way there ex- is expensive either you're losing product or you're, or you're sitting there for a long time uh, trying to fill it uh but crowlers i think are are a way that um uh are easier to fill and they can cap them and it keeps the carbonation perhaps a little bit better especially if you can really fill them to the top and then cap them and stuff so i think that um uh if if growlers are, are on the way out, a big part of that is the, uh, the convenience and um, ease of crowler.
1: Yep. I think that's right. I think uh, I think we're seeing a lot of shifts. Even small breweries now, if they don't have crowler systems, they often have access to or their own canning systems, which means they have package that you can take away. Yes, they have the crowler system. Yeah. And then the growler thing. Yeah. it's It always was kind of a weird crude system. There's something kind of uh, DIY about it that's fun. Ah, uh, you can you know cart your your empty growler around, and when you pop into a place, grab some. But yeah, uh, it, it it may have been one of those things that uh, we see go we go away in the future. It's interesting. It's a it's a good comment, Steve.
0: Yeah. All right. The uh, next one is from Kevin York at Von Ebert. Oh, this is my favorite. Uh, <laughs> Kevin York writes.
1: Yeah. So this came this came via email, not necessarily to the podcast, but. Uh, as you will see, it's quite relevant to the podcast. Yeah,
0: we don't care. So Von Ebert Brewing in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Kevin York writes, uh, I thought you might be interested in reading the backstory of this new beer from Von Ebert and Trapdoor Brewing from Vancouver, Washington, our neighbor to the north. Your recent blind IPA tasting helped bring the collab together.
1: Hey, hey, hey. look uh, at us.
0: Am I supposed to read the stuff in in italics?
1: Uh, you well, I, I, I did this just to summarize what the beer was. So it's called Flamingo Croquet, a New okay. England style oat cream, 6.8 percent, and it's kind of a, a commingling of West and East Coast styles. Mm-hmm. Uh, has Cascade, Centennial, and Columbia, Columbus uh, on the front end, and then Centennial, Citra, and Columbus dry hopping. Um, and yeah, they, they say it creates a heavy citrus aroma and flavor, along with a hint of pine, and then the citra complements the West Coast hops, Travita Citrus Punch, found in traditional New England IPAs. So that's the beer. We're
0: going now to have carry. to go out find some, because they say, while the origins of this collaboration stem from the mutual respect von Ebert and Trapdoor hold for each other, it was pushed forward after a recent local blind tasting. Respected beer writers, well, you're a respected beer writer, I'm just a schlub doesn't write uh jeff alworth <laughs> and patrick emerson held the beer vana show ipa smackdown uh on their podcast earlier this summer blind tasting a range of oregon and washington ipas volatile substance from Font ebert won the tasting while trapdoors glowed up finished second right behind it that's indeed, right indeed they did uh and this is fabulous i'm excited if we had any uh part in uh in getting these two brews together and brewing a good beer i'm super excited by that (laughs) and i'm I'm kind of excited that people actually listen i (laughs) know i was so excited
1: about all this i forwarded you the email and we we had a little uh you know we were we melted down in joy over this so kevin york you made you
0: made our day (laughs) or week or month or year or the history of the podcast
1: that's right that's right we we (laughs) we we feel heard uh Uh, really cool uh, and you, you are respected. It's true you're not a beer writer, but you're a respected economist. So there you go. Yeah. Don't you sell yourself short.
0: Yeah, which matters a lot in beer. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, think, I think you're
1: next. I, I believe it matters a lot to breweries for sure. Uh, this one comes from John McGuire. Don't have a location for John. Um, the most recent commentary on value buying – value buying. Do you remember what that was about? I don't remember. We'll keep well, reading. Maybe keep we'll going. remember.
0: Yeah, I'll figure it out.
1: Uh Raise something I'd especially like to hear you gents talk about either from personal experience or from an economic point of view. Oh, growler pricing. Here we are back to growlers. That's right.
0: Yeah. And I now I know what he's talking about. Yeah.
1: Go ahead. I do too. Yeah. Uh, I have noticed uh, a significant difference in pricing on growlers over the past few years, even in places which claim to cater to growlers to go. Some places uh, think they can charge the full Pint, pint price times four to fill my growler and in days of seven dollar pints i won't even think twice to pass on that deal especially as <laughs> packaging has become so ubiquitous that nearly uh or equally fresh beer can be had at half the cost in a go-to fridge 10 feet away yes i just don't understand how breweries charging 20 to 25 dollars think that incentivize that incentive works in my mind growlers should be a good value for both a consumer and supplier but far too often uh it seems like they're charging full in-house prices and expect me to be grateful for the opportunity to pay that price. Curious on your thoughts. Yes. What are your thoughts? Well, I
0: think actually we some of it's already been answered in the fact that uh, growlers are kind of a pain in the ass. Growlers don't feature the beer very well, so I don't think um, uh, uh, breweries are super excited about them anymore. They served a, a, a function at a time. Uh, cans are super cheap, um, so it's a pretty easy-to-go package that they have more control over it. and especially if they can get it right from the canning line where it's where it's been treated right and there's no you know very little oxygen and it's going to the carbonation is going to hold on all that i think i think uh it's a better proposition for the brewers themselves to to sell you a, a prepackaged you know four pack of cans rather than um then do it in a growler uh so yeah what do you think
1: i think exactly that that that's yeah. That's that's how I think too. And uh, it's interesting. We had two people comment about how growlers are a dissatisfying package now, and I I do wonder uh, what their point is at this point. It just doesn't seem like they make a lot of sense. So. Yeah,
0: I mean they were great, you know, ten twenty years ago when it was like the only way you could take away draft beer and there wasn't canned versions of that same draft beer. But I think COVID, and we talked about this, but I think COVID has got a lot of places that didn't normally package um, doing some packaging. And so a lot of places are able to, to sell you prepackaged beer of the same type that they're serving on draft. Um, and if not, they can stick it in a growler, and they often prefer that for reasons we talked about. Yep. So I don't know. Yeah, in terms of value proposition, um, uh, I don't know. Were, were growlers at one time like a big value? I, don't, I didn't use them enough to know. Um, for me, it was always just an opportunity to bring home some beer that I couldn't otherwise put in my fridge.
1: Yeah, I think the point really is that they were they didn't used to be just the exact same price as tap beer uh, in a in a growler. You
0: yeah, know, you, you got you, a little you volume offer. discount.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's true. I certainly would never pay $25 for a growler of beer
0: myself, Yeah, it's, but- it's not. I mean, uh, uh, long ago we've talked about this. For, for someone like me, who's the only beer drinker in the house – It's not great to bring, you know, 32 ounces of beer home in a package that as soon as I open it, the beer is going to start degrading right away. So basically you got to drink it fast or else the beer is not going to be great. So I've never, that's why I don't, I've used them rarely. Um, I'm not a big growler guy, but there was a bunch of businesses, by the way, there have been a bunch of businesses in Portland, at least, and I'm not sure how much in other parts of the world that were based on just growler fills. Basically, they were just tap rooms that would just uh, sold to go beer but in the growler format and they would go to great lengths to like purge the oxygen out of the growler and things like that but um but i wonder how those businesses are doing i suspect not so great
1: yeah it's an interesting point i hadn't thought about that way i was kind of just thinking of uh, breweries themselves but you're right there's a ton of them and not just places that focus on them but grocery stores and gas stations and other places so yeah, yeah that's interesting maybe others have some commentary
0: on I'll, that. my bellwether will be that uh fred meyer which is a, gro- a grocery store kroger brand grocery store in portland on a Hawthorne that installed a big growler station i never go there so i don't know but i assume it still exists and i wonder how it's doing
1: yeah my my freddy's has the same thing and i have the same curiosity huh that's interesting <laughs> i'm not using that i wonder if anyone else is
0: i yeah <laughs> i expect that uh in a couple years they might be gone yeah um i think it's your turn
1: uh i, I will made... well let me read this one because it's directed at you and and then that way you can right. give the uh it'll you'll, you'll see momentarily why it would be awkward if you read this patrick oh it's from scott delone uh westchester pennsylvania uh also a return commenter thank you scott patrick the most recent beeronomics episode was great keep them coming <laughs> also i too was at strong brewing this summer Wow. Uh, the brewery, yeah, the brewery out in Maine. My wife and I stayed in Brooklyn, Maine for a bit, and I really liked that brewery and that area of Maine. Glad you finally made it to Maine Beer Company. Definitely one of my favorite breweries in the country. Yes, I'm glad you made it there, too. Good for you.
0: Wow. Uh,
1: love the brown ale episode. Our local malt house, Deer Creek, also brews some beers, and they do a rotating malt series of sorts, similar to to places to what places do with hops Mm -hmm. i haven't tried them but feel inspired to after the most recent episode definitely keep the styles episodes going yeah we'll do that um uh i'm not sure if this is a whole episode but i feel different variations on farmhouse styles slash beers were intentionally saved for future consumption might be really interesting saison grisette beer de garde okay i consider that a a request. I think we might have done saisons before, but we have never done beer to guard, and that could be fun. So, yeah.
0: no, it's a good, possibly. yeah, it's a really good suggestion.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. So, back up to the beeronomics bit and and Maine. You have any comments?
0: Well, that's uh, yeah. We're talking about a very small little corner of Maine um, that we were both in this summer because Brooklyn is right around the corner from my family place, uh, and Strong Brewing is this tiny little brewery that's right uh, uh, sort of on the way out of Blue Hill, Maine, um, kind of a neat place. I didn't have a long, a lot of time to, to hang out there, but, uh, I did try a few beers and they were, they were nice. I, uh, I meant to get back because uh, a couple of years ago, I never had a chance to stop, um, when a bunch of kids in tow and stuff. So, right. uh, so yes, I, I have a, a fondness for, uh, for Maine beer company, as people know.
1: <laughs> Very cool. Yes, and, and strong
0: I, and strong is good too. And there's a lot of good beer being brewed in Maine. It's uh, it's one of those great another beervana.
1: Maine is uh, Maine is vacation land, and so probably a lot of people make it up to those otherwise remote places. Um, yeah, and
0: so. <laughs> it always seems so weird to me because it takes you know, in my case, two days to get there and two days to get back. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, there are people who live a lot closer than I do. That's true. Uh, okay. Um, we then, have one more, and well, then we're done. One more, and then we're done, which is good because we're running out of time. So via yep. Twitter, uh, from uh, Ashia, I think I got that right, that's all right right, Kavan.
1: Sure. So do you remember
0: Peter? Oh, oh whoa, yeah, sorry. This is, this is uh, yeah, <laughs> go ahead.
1: Yeah, well, uh, it's the, uh, Peter, C-A-V-A-N, wrote in, and we spent a long time Trying to excavate how to pronounce his name, and he, sent, he even sent a description, which mystified us even more. So his wife uh, posted a, a, a short audio clip of her saying their last name.
0: And I wish I had—I wish I had read the whole thing before I started reading, because then I—I I, uh, I messed up the name again.
1: I, I know it's it's brilliant, but uh, I listened to it, and I think I've, I've solved uh, Peter and Ashia. I think I have solved how to tell people how to pronounce your last name. Go for it. Uh, She posted an audio clip pronouncing her name, and here's what I say. It sounds like cabin, but with a V. Cavin. So it's like cabin, but with a V. Cavin. That's how Uh, you do it. uh, uh, I hope
0: hope we solve that. She might send another audio clip correcting you, but I hope we've solved that. Uh, But thank you for for that. I remember when it came in. It was hilarious.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I listened to it and was sheepish because uh, Peter's was I, I i suspect uh perfectly accurate but it i think it described a long a and then we weren't sure what that meant because we're kind of dumb on, on those issues and um it didn't help us at all uh it was lost on us entirely so uh the the, the audio <laughs> clip that was we're, that's that's our speed
0: <laughs> we're pretty dense uh, <laughs> we're not we're not so good at this stuff uh there are more comments that came in, um, as I mentioned via Instagram that I'm just sorting through, but I just wanted to say, thanks if uh, I'll, I'll sort through. And if there's things we haven't gotten to on this pod, then in a future pod, we will read your questions and comments. So thank you very much.
1: Indeed.
0: Uh, uh, and um, Jeff, I would like to wish you a, a bon voyage.
1: Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm spending this week getting ready and I'm feeling not quite ready. So thank you. I, I- so here's the thing, which a I did not wear. More dedicated professional
0: might be um, sending us uh, uh, audio dispatches, but
1: uh, well, and, and I may too. You never know. I'll take my little. I'll take my good my mic along. I put we'll that. See what I put happens.
0: that 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 seed of a thought in your mind, and
1: yeah. Oh, I I I'm right there with you, and I, I'll also say you'll appreciate this because it's very English in its way. I remember uh, when we went on our tour together, you had a, a blazer that you would pull out uh, and say sheepishly you know I feel like I need to wear my my jacket from time to time mm-hmm. uh, in, in, a, in a matter of formality I purchased for the first time since I believe the early 1990s a blazer uh, which I will take uh, it's it's at the tailor getting uh, taken in a little bit
0: uh, which, which I will wow. take and how so fancy that I, is that you didn't just a, go to men's warehouse then
1: I didn't just go to men's <laughs> warehouse. <laughs> I, went, I actually went to Macy's, uh, which is only slightly better than Wins Warehouse, but anyway, um, so i you know I'm gonna I'm trying to up my game, you know. I didn't do that in Portland because it's ridiculous in Portland. People just yeah. that would that would not have worked in Portland. But I'm a going nice. to the East Coast, you know. I'm going to the South, where people are a little bit more formal. I'm gonna look like I'm not gonna look like a hobo, man. I'm gonna walk in there. I'm gonna look sharp, look authoritative. Maybe people will actually think I know something.
0: <laughs> I know. So you've learned a lesson from me. That's good. Yeah, a nice uh, not too not too formal blazer is 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 a is a perfect clothing piece that bridges that gap. Any exactly. gap, you find. Like it's just it's just enough to show. Okay. That yeah, you care.
1: <laughs> that's and and I got one that looks kind of like a flannel shirt, so. It's not a huge leap you know it's kind of
0: so they don't forget you're from Portland, Oregon.
1: That's right. It's like people will not think like I'm putting on too much airs so he bought a jacket looks like a flannel shirt. Good man.
0: All right well once again you can find Jeff's uh, schedule so he, he'll be soon appearing soon in a town near you. So go search him out go let him know that you uh, listen to the podcast and go remind him that uh, that he's nothing without me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, please do. We'll see how many times I get that reminder. Uh, I challenge you, the listeners, (laughs) stand up for the economist.
0: That's right. All right. Uh, Thanks for listening to the show. A few words going out. Please subscribe to us on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us.
1: Five stars, please.
0: That helps other listeners find the show, apparently. But we wouldn't really know. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So please send your questions or comments to Jeff at Birvana blog or on Twitter at Birvana pod or at the Instagram, which, what is the Instagram called? Birvana pod as well, I think. So on it Twitter is, or beervana. on Instagram at Birvana pod.
1: Oh, amazing. We harmonized it. It was very clever of us. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Jeff blogs at the beervana blog and he tweets at Birvana
1: and patrick tweets at bironomics he also grams at beer pod
0: <laughs> that's right uh by the way uh, we both yeah they wouldn't know yeah people don't know when we which one of us uh, is responsible we, we both do the the twitter and the instagram now so it's never true know.
1: and sometimes i mention it when it's me um and when you're when 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 you're randomly posting on one of them from from Maine I think people know it's you so <laughs> um, uh, but anyway that's it's a you know it's always an adventure you can try to figure out which is this Jeff or Patrick posting who knows
0: that's right that's right that's your challenge yeah. all right uh, we're not drinking beer so um, we'll just have to cheers each other notionally
1: indeed we're actually not sitting in the same room this time so um, yeah cheers yeah. Patrick
0: <laughs> yeah cheers Jeff.
1: All right. Uh, I'll see you sometime down the line.
0: Yeah, see you in a few months. <laughs> see you in Baltimore.
1: <laughs> yep, I'm checking. I'm checking. Refresh, refresh. Nothing yet. Uh, nothing yet, but uh, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's coming.
0: Around. They'll come to yeah. their senses. No worries.
1: <laughs> All right, take care.
0: Bye.